Hello and welcome to the Forum Club, the weekly Lakers podcast from The Athletic. I'm Bill Oram, joined as always by Jovan Buha. Jovan, how are we doing today? I didn't get much sleep last night, but otherwise I'm doing well. <laughs> so uh, for our listeners, Jovan is... Uh, was not up all night on some late night night like gaming rampage. Uh, was writing about the Lakers' latest loss, and we've had a lot of these. We've had a lot of these, you know, kind of cr- inflection points. I guess I almost said crisis, but we'll just say stick with inflection points this season. And the latest was a loss to the Indiana Pacers. Not just a loss to a bad team. The Pacers entered the night having lost ten of eleven, but a night that felt like the sands were sort of shifting underneath. The Lakers. We know that Frank Vogel has been on the hot seat. Uh, Sam Amick and I reported earlier this week that he was as close to being fired after the Denver game uh, that they lost by 37 points as at any point this season. And then two games later, you get Frank Vogel benching Russell Westbrook down the stretch, which I think most of us, you know, who've followed this team closely have wondered if it might happen at some point. And it did, but not until Frank is, you know, in the eyes of some already with one foot, you know, you know, on the banana peel, basically. So, Jovan, do you look at the Russell Westbrook benching as, um, you know, a, an act of defiance against the front office that gave Frank this this uh, this roster and is now potentially looking to hold him accountable for its inability to to perform? No, only because there was the ESPN report that uh you know, Frank had the permission of the front office to bench Russ. And, and I found that very surprising based on conversations I've had uh, w- with people around the team. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's no secret that the Lakers have explored trading Russell Westbrook in, in recent weeks and uh, have been open to that possibility. So I, I guess kind of, you know, evaluating that, you would assume that if they're looking to move him, uh, you know, potentially there is, um, you know, th- th- they are kind of admitting they made a mistake or, or have some, buyer's remorse uh, with, with kind of the decision they made this offseason. Um, so I, I guess I, at first I did think it was an act of defiance. I, I guess that reporting did change my perspective on that. But what it revealed to me was Frank Vogel has towed the company line all season. And, you know, on paper, we know the types of players that Frank Vogel likes. He, he has kind of uh, admitted at times that like he doesn't love not having a bunch of good perimeter defenders like he's had the past two seasons. And this isn't maybe the best fit stylistically uh, with, with this roster, but he has always praised Russell Westbrook, even in those games when he's had 9, 10, 11 turnovers, where he's had the, the five for 24 shooting nights. Frank Vogel has continued to say, you know, Russ is, uh, Russ is a superstar. Russ is, you know, he, he's cl- closed games with him and he's defended him to some extent. And this was, to me, rather telling that with his job potentially on the line and his back against the wall, he resorted to benching Russell Westbrook and really just saying, you know, uh, you know whether he had permission or not, he kind of just said, screw it, I'm, I'm going down with the five guys I think can help me win this game. And Russell Westbrook was not one of them. And you saw it with Russ leaving the bench early uh, to, to go back to the locker room with him reportedly uh, dressing quickly and leaving the locker room, uh, you know, be, before the, the, the team uh, meeting post game, And then also him not speaking to reporters for the second time. And I don't know how many games now it's been a few games. Like this situation is, is not going well. And Russ is clearly, you know, not accepting as Mello has kind of talked about 
this transition out of superstardom and he, he's not accepted that he is you know barely hanging on to relevancy in in terms of being like an all-star level guy and i just i don't know where the lakers go from here because i i think had frank been fired last night or, or this morning you know you, you kind of have okay you have the new coach maybe he tries to repair the situation with russ but as long as frank's still there um i don't think this is something you just throw under you know it's not water under the bridge where russ is just like cool with this i, I think russ is legitimately upset and frank you know frank is either gonna have to do some damage control or it's just going to be it is what it is and uh russ is because it's now three straight games where russ has not hit the 30 minute mark and, and one of those was the denver blowout but he you know against utah and, and indy with frank coaching for his you know job he has been playing russell westbrook fewer and fewer minutes and, and not playing him as much in the fourth as you'd expect so i, I think we all get it and, and we think if it was merit-based that would be the case but we also know in the nba you know superstars have egos and and uh thorny personalities and you can lose a player and lose part of a locker room by benching certain guys and it really is interesting to me kind of the fallout from all of this because i don't think this is something that's just going to be swept under the rug i think this is going to be a thing moving forward well it's certainly going to be a thing tomorrow night friday in orlando when the lakers try to you know get back on the winning side of things in this seesaw season of um of you know barely 500 just under 500 just over 500 um, you know, that'll continue. But I do, um, I do, um, I, I agree with you that I think the big thing is whether it's an act of defiance against the front office or not, I continue to think it is. I do think that there is the more telling thing is that Frank Vogel is ready to start conceding that, you know, a lot of the stuff he's been saying about Russell Westbrook throughout the course of the year has been, you know, untrue. You know, you can't say that he, you know, impacts winning in ways that you can't see if you're not willing to put him out there when you need when you need to win the game. I mean, he he came out of a, a close game. You know, the Lakers were, you know, they were bleeding. Obviously, Karis Levert was going off on him, but you know, the idea that you're the guy you're paying forty four million dollars isn't one of the five guys you trust the most to beat the Indiana Pacers is problematic, and obviously that's going to be a hit to Russ's pride. I don't know where they go from here. I mean, the first question I'm going to have for Frank Vogel when we're in Orlando is, how did Russ respond? Have you spoken to Russ? And, you know, I mean, do you expect him to be a part of closing lineups going forward? And I'm sure everything he'll say will be, we talked about it. He's great. You know, he's a team player. And, um, you know, you know, those things will be assessed, you know, you know, as you know, on a nightly basis, but you know, he's one of our top players and I expect him to be out there to close games. Okay, fine. But we're, the proof is going to be in the pudding. We're going to see it going forward and we're going to see it on this road trip, Yovan, because the Lakers are going to be tested and we don't, and they, they're going to be tested without Anthony Davis. Now, you know, there's, there've been reports that Anthony Davis could be back um, on the road trip. You know, I think there was one that said it could be as early as Sunday against, against Miami. That feels early to me, but um even if that happens, I mean, that would obviously be a huge, a huge momentum swing for the Lakers. But even with those three guys all healthy, the Lakers have struggled against good teams. So you go Orlando, bad team, but you go Miami, very good team. Brooklyn, very good team playing without Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving because it's in Brooklyn. Um, and then you go to Philly, Charlotte, and Atlanta. Those are all losable games, regardless of who's on the floor for the Lakers. I could see them losing, you know, all five of those. They probably won't lose all five, but this could be a two and four road trip. It could be a three and three road trip. And frankly, a three and three road trip would probably be uh, the best case scenario. 
Now that's probably going to come yeah, back to bite I, me because they're going to go I mean, five they and one. Four but games, yeah. Like I mean, I have a hard time seeing them do doing better than three and three. Maybe that you know stops the bleeding again for a little while. But you know, three, three and three, you come back and you're, you know, what fifty one games into the season and you're still one game below five hundred, um, and you know, kind of you know, you know, in in the the muck of you know eighth, ninth in the West, and that's not. You know, that's not good enough. And by the way, that's going to be right up into the trade deadline. And we know the Lakers aren't going to have much aren't going to have much to work with at the trade deadline. You know, anything they do is going to be around the margins. Um, and, you know, that's kind of when you start thinking again, like, you know, I don't really see them firing Frank on the road trip. You know, you don't see that very often in the NBA. Seems unlikely, um, but it could happen, obviously, with a couple of bad losses. Um, and. And then, you know, is it after the road trip? Is it the all-star break? And the and this has been created, you know, by the by the Lakers, um, by the Lakers indecisiveness, frankly, by uh, by being by by, you know, hemming and hawing on whether or not, you know, they want to fire Frank and it, and it getting out. You know, we, we had the story on Monday night about him nearly being fired after the Denver game. And we're told that, you know, he was being evaluated on a game by game basis. Well, what that creates is now a game by game question is he still the coach and that loss to indiana really opened up that that uh that, that line of questioning again and you know i was told in really no uncertain terms that that was not part of the post-game discourse uh whatsoever uh so it does seem like the lakers kind of i don't want to say that the utah game uh saved frank's job but i do think that that was the game that they would have they felt like they would have had to act and so now there is like kind of this additional lease on life because of the timing, because of the the discourse around Frank. Like, you know, nobody is out there saying, yeah, the Lakers should get rid of Frank Vogel. Not just because he's not the problem. I think we all agree he's not the problem. But also, what good is it going to do you know, to um, to fire, you know, him and then have David Fizdale or Phil Handy Mike Penberthy, if you're a real conspiracy theorist, Kurt Rambis, you know, take o- take over the head job. I mean, do you see any of those guys like being the answer, not just for the rest of this season, but for next year? You know, with Jason Kidd as an assistant coach the last couple of years, if Frank Vogel got fired, like you kind of would have expected Jason Kidd to not just come in as the interim, but to be given a multi-year contract and to be the new coach of the Lakers. They don't have anybody like that. And the idea that you know they're going to suddenly you know catch lightning in a bottle and and win a championship with you know an interim head coach just doesn't feel very realistic. I think at this point we just have to accept that this team isn't very good, and and reframe our expectations. And I know that you know maybe they're not going to accept that, and and they're going to continue to view this season in a championship context because you expect with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and even with Russell Westbrook, but but even taking him out of the equation for a second. Like that foundation should be enough to contend. Uh, but I mean, how many, like how many times have we had this conversation on this podcast and how many times have I said we've had this conversation on this podcast where it's like one step forward, two steps back. And it's been yeah. all season where you follow up the Utah win, which was arguably the one of the season. You actually beat a you good know what? team. That, it started, the bud is off the rose on that one. Utah has lost six of their last seven games and they got beat by Houston at home last night. So, I mean like, yes, but it in was the context the- of the Lakers season, I think it's it, it like, I mean, we can go, I mean, there's only a few games to really pick from, but like, okay, that game versus like Miami or versus Memphis or like the Charlotte, like there's only so many games you can, 
like the Austin Reeves game, right? But it was the Lakers' first win against a team above 500 in over a month. Their previous win against a 500 team was December 15th in Dallas, that Austin Reeves game. Um, they had not been an above 500 team in, in over a month. They finally beat Utah. And, and even if it wasn't the win of the season, it was a feel-good win. It, it was they actually beat a decent team. They, they potentially Frank saved Bogle. Frank's job. And and there, there was like, okay, we, we closed against a, a solid team. And guess what? You followed up twenty or whatever, forty eight hours later, with arguably your your worst loss of the season. And, and you know, I, I would put put it up there. Um, you know, Indiana, as you were texting me all these different uh, numbers from it, like they hadn't won a road game since November. Uh, I think they had lost eight straight road games, and they are just not a good team. They're ten, you know, over ten games under five hundred, and uh, for them to come in. And and win not just win the game, but win the game in the fashion that they did, where the Lakers were in control of the game for most of the game, and then Karis LeVert just torched them for 22 points in the fourth, uh, and really Lakers had no answer for him. Like that was just it was embarrassing. And, and you you had Russ leave early, you had the fans booing, you had fans leaving early. Like it was just uh, not a good, you know, it was just an awful loss. And I think at this point, like. I, I, I know I said it last podcast that I'm losing optimism. Like it's really hard to have any optimism right now. And I also think though, the one caveat I'll throw in is like, I also just think this team is not good without Anthony Davis. And, and, you know, I, I think we, we need to maybe reframe those expectations where like without Anthony Davis, maybe this is like a 31 team, like, right. Like, I, I don't know, uh, you know, like it's just, they're not very good. So, uh, maybe AD returning changes some of those things, but, uh, I, I, yeah, I'm fascinated by the Russ situation. I'm fascinated by Frank's future and, and just sort of where this team goes from here, because it feels like if, if they're not broken yet, they're, they're close to being broken. And, and I, I don't know how you pick up the pieces. Yeah. I mean, I think if, if they don't figure things out or start winning when Anthony Davis comes back, that's when it does start to feel just like a totally lost season, you know, and maybe, then maybe it becomes a team that, you know, starts having phantom injuries or, you know, LeBron's abdomen, uh, flares up again and guys start getting shut down you know that's that would be the kind of natural progression of this season if if they just can't figure it out with Russ LeBron and AD all healthy but that speaks to such a bit larger problems because you still have Russell Westbrook under contract for next year and he is not a guy who you're going to have an easy time trading and and so I don't really see a scenario where um I don't know. The Lakers just have to figure out a way to be better. There's such urgency to it. Otherwise, I feel like the shoe has to drop in some way, you know, and not just on the coaching staff. If this team doesn't make the playoffs or finishes eighth in the West and loses in the first round, I feel like there has to be some accountability for that, whether it's Rob Palinka, whether it's, you know, ownership. I mean, you can't have a championship team with LeBron James in 2020 and Anthony Davis and then the next two years fail to advance in the playoffs or fail to get, you know, even close to those heights again. It's just a failure if that's what happens. And that's where it seems to be heading right now. And Frank Vogel, I mean, we could talk about Frank's like real future, you know, whether it's, you know, this season or, or next season. I would say, you know, if Frank doesn't get fired in this season, I have a hard time seeing him coming back as the coach again next year. And the reason would be, um, you know, he's he's only got one year left on his contract after this year. That's the tepid extension they gave him last year. Frank Vogel should not, you know, agree to coach the Lakers again next year with anything less than a multi-year extension. You know, I mean, I mean the, the, what he's been put through this year, just on a human level, um, is, you know, 
is is frankly beneath you know what he's shown he is his value as a coach in the NBA. Um, and the idea that you know he'd go into this summer and take another one year extension and then go th- get put through the same ringer again like shouldn't happen. So um, even if the Lakers don't outright fire him at the end of this year, I would not be surprised at all to see some sort of you know parting of the ways if they're not willing to commit to him long term. And obviously, what we've seen in recent days and kind of throughout this season shows a real lack of like you know uh, commitment to Frank. So um, you know whether he's fired now or later. It does seem like this is not going to be a long-term marriage. Um, so, I, you know, it's really just a matter of can they surprise us? Because you said earlier at some point we need to just accept that this isn't a very good team. And we're so close to it, Jovan, that like – and, you know, you know, we're always listening to what the players say and like what the players say often drives our coverage. And, you know, you listen to Carmelo Anthony and he's like, we're going to figure this out. Like, just wait. We're going to figure this out. You know, LeBron says similar things. You know, Russ. He says was saying that things. at Game 15, <laughs> and well, for sure. But like, my point is, like, they should believe in themselves. They should have confidence. You know, I mean, what else are they going to say? But like, sure, that doesn't sure. mean it's true. That doesn't mean that this, that they're actually, um, you know, going to be there. You know, in in June or even May. This, uh, uh, you know, it, you know it. With the players who are on this team, you know, you might have some like eighth seed caliber teams who are like, you know, yeah, we, you know, we we realize, you know, we're you know, we're a team on the rise, you know, we know the expectations are different, but like the Lakers' expectations are single note to win the to win the game, um, or to win the championship this year, and if that doesn't happen, it's a failure, or at least if you don't get to the finals, or if you don't put yourself in a position where a championship is is a realistic goal, that's that's it. So. I would just, I would just, I just think that that is the metric by which everyone's going to be judged. Yeah, and and look, I, I think if if we want to try to be optimistic, uh, really looking at the West, I don't see. Uh, I mean, barring some incredible collapse from this team, which I'm not going to rule out at this point, uh, like they're going to be in the play-in at worst. Uh, they're probably going to be in that, you know, again in the worst case scenario, like eight or nine seed. I don't really see them dropping much lower than they're currently at. So I, I think like you, you have a shot and you, you know, you, you're probably favored in your playing game uh, in both of them, uh, no matter kind of who's in that seven to 10 mix. And then you're probably entering a, you know, but then you're entering a first round series with golden state or Phoenix. And you can't feel great about that, especially starting that, you know, not having home court advantage. And, and you're looking at a situation where you probably have to go something like, you know, it might be like Phoenix, Utah, uh, you know, Golden State, all on the road to get to the finals. Um, so, I mean, I, I think the one, the one thing, uh, you know, uh, the one source of optimism for me is like this team is—they're not going to miss the plan. They're going to have a shot, and, and I still think in a forty-eight minute, you know, play-in situation or a seven-game series facing LeBron James and Anthony Davis, uh, assuming they're both healthy is is going to be difficult and there's always the chance that those two guys are the two best players in any series in any game and that gives the lakers a shot but just judging what we've actually seen and and not hypotheticals and not theoreticals like they're i mean this team just has not been very good or very consistent and i I think i think for me it's more the consistency because we we have seen some good moments and and those moments that that maybe would kind of give you some confidence in, in what they ultimately could do but it's followed up with, uh, you know, how like go back and, and look at their con- contenders for best win of the season. How many of those are followed up with a loss or, or a disappointing 
uh, situation where, where maybe they went to crunch time with a team they shouldn't have gone to crunch time with. Like, it's just night to night, you, you have no consistency with this group. Um, I, I do wonder if, like, I, I just wrote about, I think small ball is the way to go moving forward. Obviously, it's tough to do without Anthony Davis, but once AD is back, I think you go all in on AD, LeBron, Stanley Johnson. Those are three centers. Uh, and, and the rest of it is going to be, you know, Mello, Ariza, and the guards. And, you know, no more Dwight, no more DeAndre, uh, you know, no Kent Bazemore, probably no Wayne Ellington. And everybody else is in the rotation. And we're, we're just going small and, and fast. And you're going to give up some stuff defensively, but we've seen how good this team could be in transition. We, we've seen how good with the small ball, you know, getting to the rim, running pick and rolls and stuff like they, they can be effective. And, and they did that against Utah and, and Rudy Gobert. And that's a particular weakness for Utah. So, so maybe that's just a, a matchup thing, but um, I, I do think like that, that is the way moving forward. Uh, but I don't know. I, I just, there's, I mean, <laughs> I mean, this has just been a crazy week and, and there's just so much that we, we still don't know and, and are going fi- to you know, find out in the next 24 hours, 48, 72 hours. Uh, uh, I do think it's funny that Frank is playing Indiana and Orlando, his two former teams, to, to kind of coach for his. I said the Dan Patrick show for him. It's got to be he's got to be dying to get through this stretch because to him, like these games must feel like the ghosts of firings past. Like it's just, <laughs> I mean, the timing is very poetic. And if he, if the, if, you know, let, I mean, purely hypothetically, if the Lakers lost to Orlando and he got fired in Orlando, it would be it would be very, very bitterly poetic that, you know, it was, it was the two teams, it was losing to the two teams that previously fired him that ultimately did him in. Um, to your point about Dwight, I think Dwight has a role on this team. I don't think DeAndre does. Um, but I think again, it's like, it's a change of pace. You know, it's like, it's bringing the knuckleballer in out of the, out of the bullpen um, in certain matchups. I mean, you know, when they play Joel Embiid next week, I think you got to have you know, Dwight Howard out there, you know, maybe it's 15, 18 minutes, maybe it's less depending on how effective your small ball lineups are. Um, But, you know, that's a weapon you need to have. But I think the Lakers are currently built and they've found enough success going small that they only need one true center on the roster or certainly, you know, only one center in the rotation. DeAndre Jordan doesn't need to be on this team. Um, and you know we'll be it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as you know we get to the trade deadline, past the trade deadline. If the Lakers end up just buying out some of these guys who have not contributed this year to clear up you know space on the buyout market, it just doesn't um, make sense to have you know thirty five year old uh, you know you know uh, former stars as as end of bench guys. You know they aren't who aren't going to contribute when they come in anyway. So. Um, you know, DeAndre, Kent Bazemore, you know, Wayne Ellington, you know, I think all could be candidates to get, you know, to get dumped one way or another. And by the way, like, I mean, what have you thought of Trevor Ariza? Like he's had a couple, he had a couple good games when he first came in, but like there hasn't been, you know, from how the Lakers viewed him when they, when they signed him in the summer, you know, the plan was, and we reported this in September, the the working plan going into training camp was Lakers were going to go small, small, so to speak, with Anthony Davis at center. And outside of the big three, it was going to be Ariza and Wayne Ellington. Well, Ariza has barely played, but hasn't been, you know, hasn't it has looked like a shell of him former self, his former self when he's played. And Wayne Ellington has not 
really contributed in a meaningful way, and he's not in the rotation. So, you know, things have really, really changed, uh, you know, from what the Lakers thought they were working with in terms of the level to which all those minimum guys performed. And, you know, I wrote a story earlier this season, actually after Austin Reeves hit that game winner in Dallas, kind of giving some credit to the Lakers' development uh operation and the, their G League team, you know, Joey Buss, who obviously is a uh, a member of the Buss family, uh, uh, you know, one of the sons of, of Dr. Jerry Buss, you know, potentially, you know, in position to run the Lakers one day, um, runs their G League team. And, you know, we were at the time, you know, wrote a story about Austin Reeves and kind of the wonder of him coming in and being able to contribute. But I mean, the fact that the Lakers are relying so heavily, not just on Austin Reeves, but also Stanley Johnson, who is a you know, a 25-year-old journeyman at this point, but who did start the year with the South Bay Lakers. He's coming in and playing super meaningful minutes. You know, I think you can give him almost, you could give him the game ball from the Jazz win. Uh, Austin Reeves, you know, has been huge, has been part of those close, closing lineups. And then also Avery Bradley, who was somebody the Lakers passed on in the offseason and was not part of the original plans. And I don't think would be on this team if not for the injuries in the preseason to all their all their guards. I mean, Keep in mind, it's not just that, oh, they needed a 15th guy and Avery Bradley became available. It was that there were preseason injuries to Taylor Horton Tucker, Malik Monk, Wayne Ellington, and uh, Kendrick Nunn, who's still out. They needed bodies. And that was kind of what Avery Bradley was seen as when they when they picked him up off waivers after he didn't make the team in Golden State. He was a body to kind of get through you know, the first couple weeks of the season. And if you remember opening night, Jovan, I know it. I know it was a long time ago. But do you remember that Avery Bradley did not play until the fourth quarter when the Lakers were getting their butts kicked and they needed somebody to throw at Steph? And then Avery Bradley nearly brought them back and they almost won the game. So that is yeah. the, um, you know, that is what, these are the guys who've kind of kept the Lakers afloat this year. I mean, obviously LeBron's doing all the heavy lifting. But when you're talking about role players... I mean, three of their most valuable role players, you know, maybe three of their most four valuable role players, if you want to include Carmelo, have been have been guys who weren't supposed to be here. Which really just is a yeah. which really reflects poorly on on the offseason, on on the ability to um, build a team and and you know not to turn this fully into a referendum on Rob Palinka, but go back to last year. Not only did he tear down a, a championship team to build something that ultimately didn't work, but you know one of the biggest moves of that offseason was you know getting rid of JaVale McGee and 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 Frank and and letting Dwight go so you get Montrez Harrell and and then Marcus Saul. Well, you pivot mid-season and basically send Marcus Saul to the end of the bench for Andre Drummond, who doesn't work out. And then, you know, ultimately, Montrez Harrell's not a part of the solution either. So that's really two ineffective off-seasons by management coming off the heels of when you have the most appealing destination in the, in the NBA, because not only is it Los Angeles with LeBron James and a chance to win, you have a blueprint showing that you can win because you just did it. So it's like I've used this analogy, but it's like it's 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 like getting born on third base. It's like being born on third base and getting thrown out at second. Like, how do you move backwards like this? It's really it's really baffling. And and, you know, sorry, I, I was really trying to turn this into a, like a positive moment on like some of these <laughs> stuff like on Reeves it, and tough. Johnson and, and Bradley. But the fact that the, those are the guys who are bailing the Lakers out and not Ellington, not Ariza, not 
you know, Dwight or DeAndre, um, you know, not Kent Bazemore. You know, those are the guys who they were signing on the first couple days of free agency, and they just haven't panned out. I think Malik Monk also deserves a shout out. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's an oversight. I would me. say, uh, like, I guess to your point, like, I think it's interesting. Frank changed the rotation a couple games ago where he moved Stanley and Malik to the bench, and he's created what we know they have gone smaller with those second units, uh, you know, lineups with LeBron at the five, and uh, it tends to be LeBron with, with athletes or LeBron with shooters and, and kind of that's the more uh, energetic up-tempo lineup and, and they couldn't really do that as much with, with so many guys in and out of the lineup but now we've seen you know Trevor starting uh, Dwight's been starting Avery so they're going a l- little more defensive minded um, and, and more veteran heavy and, and then bringing off the bench Stanley Austin Malik uh, Talon and, and kind of going uh, you know younger uh, but I, I do wonder if it, it just comes down to a point where uh, you know Again, I don't. I don't know if it's it's fully. I don't think you can play fully small ball with, with the current guys available. I just think you you need Anthony Davis back, and and that's sure. when you can kind of fully unlock that. But uh, I do think like Trevor Ariza does not look like a rotation player to me right now. Um, Avery Bradley, I think, has had productive moments. If anything, I think he he's kind of overachieved offensively and underachieved defensively. And like, you know, he's out there for his defense, but he's actually had some timely offensive contributions. I mean, he hit the three against the jazz and like he has shot the three. Well, he's made timely cuts. I think he's had some productive offensive moments um, that have maybe, in my opinion, at least covered up for a little bit of, of, you know, him being overrated defensively. But I think his role is probably a little bit too big for, for what, you know, he's to me more of a 12 to 15 minute a night guy than a, a 25 to 30 minute a night guy. But um, I think you might just have to lean more into the, the young guys and the energy. And it's like, why not throw Stanley Johnson and Austin Reeves out there for 30, 32 minutes and, and you know, bump those guys up a little bit. Uh, even Taylor, I mean, when Taylor's playing well, I think he obviously is productive. Uh, you're you're going to get Kendrick back at some point maybe in the future. Um, but like, I, I just think it, it, it is. And we've, we've seen it with DeAndre, like DeAndre and Wayne are, are out of the rotation. Kent's out of the rotation. Like they have admitted some of these guys just were, were bad signings who, who shouldn't be playing. But I even think like the Trevor starting over Stanley, like doesn't really make sense to me when, when Trevor can't like, I mean, he's not, he's okay defensively, but he has obviously lost a, a couple steps, but offensively, all he's doing out there is taking threes and missing wide open threes. And like, um, he, he had the hot start for, for a couple games, but since then, uh, I think he's shooting something like 25% on, on threes over his last yeah. seven games. So, uh, he's not been effective and he, he is a body and they, they need that size and, and, and defense in theory. But, um, I, I do wonder if, if we're getting to a point where, Frank really is again, you know, benching Russ was a big decision, and uh, you know, it was kind of like screw politics. I'm going with what's going to work, and uh, I think it, it, you know, there, there might be, need to be more changes where maybe it's a seven or eight man rotation, and you're playing guys a little bit more than you're comfortable with, but you need to start winning games because if you don't, like, like the worst thing for the Lakers, I think, is being in the plan, right? Like, you, you don't want to be matched up with Golden State or Phoenix in round one. You're gonna lose in like five games. So if you can get to that five or six seed and give yourself a shot to at least make the second round, I think that's probably the the upside at this point, you know, for the season. So um, not good enough, Yovan. Like, I've said it before. It's not. No, it's like, not. It's, and it's, it's, not, it's but, like, and it's and you're and you're right. I mean, they have to play out the season, and like the, you got to get as far as you can. But if we are accepting, and I don't, I probably said this like every time we've recorded this podcast since since probably December. 
But if if we are acknowledging that the best the the ceiling for this team is the second round of the playoffs, then the season has been a failure. We can already deem it a failure. Oh, for sure. I I, I mean I, I agree. It it is. I still think like th- there is some like best case scenario where where they make some crazy run, but that I mean it feels like the rotation has to be much different. Uh, they probably have to make a move. And they have to have great health moving forward. And and none of those three things are assured. Right. I mean, Russ has to kind of buy into potentially this new role of like, hey, you're not going to close every game if you're not playing well. And last night he was, I mean, it, it was one of his worst games of the season. He was five for 17. He had two rebounds, three assists, only one turnover. But when you're not affecting the game in other ways, I mean, what, what good is that? Um, he had a really bizarre shooting night where he was, Four for six on on threes, but two of 11 inside the arc. Um, And his finishing continues to be a problem. His his defense to me has arguably been the worst thing uh, of all of Russ's flaws. The shooting, the decision-making, the turnovers. I think his defense might be the worst of all and the most destructive where... You know, pairing him with Carmelo Anthony, for example, like like early in the season, him, Melo, and, and Monk played a lot, and those lineups just got shredded defensively. And a large part of that is because Russ is a minus defender. And and there's this kind of misconception of, oh, well, he's got the physical tools and he's athletic and he, he was a you know defensive player of the year in the pack uh, ten back then. And like, yeah, that was you know, over a decade ago, this version of Russ is not a good defender. <laughs> I mean, my God, if we're talking about the 2007 Pac-10 play, defensive player of the year to, to, to in defense of Russell Westbrook, then I then I, I quit. there are like, people I mean, who have brought it up. I mean, listen, stop, stop, stop going to Russell Westbrook's like grandma for 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 your uh, for your for your analysis, if that's where we're at. Um, Yovan, I did want to ask you uh, before we get out of here. Um, because we've got we've got a we've got a couple airplanes to get on and, and head east here, but I is there any way? I mean, early early in the year, there were scouts, and I know one told Sam Amick, our colleague Sam Amick, that you know Russ's best use with this Lakers team would be to come off the bench, and it was early in the year. That's ludicrous. That obviously hasn't happened, um, but could being benched at the end of the fourth quarter? be a gateway to a gradual reimagining of Russell Westbrook's role on this team, potentially including coming off the bench? No. Well, I, I guess I have a nuanced answer insofar as I think what's right and what's going to happen are, are two totally different things. Uh, I do think Russ, whether it's just a reduction in minutes or him coming off the bench, I do think that that would benefit the Lakers. I, I think that at this point in his career and just with the way he's played this season, something more in like a 24 to 26 minute a night role is probably best. Uh, and, and maybe just because of his who he is and where he probably thinks his game is at currently, you do need to keep him in the starting lineup to just not lose him entirely. But... I, I do think reducing his minutes, potentially him not closing certain matchups, um, if honestly not closing most matchups, because I, I think he's, he's more of a liability at the end of games than anything, uh, that's probably the way to go. And it appears based on, uh, you know, th- this uh, latest report that like maybe the Lakers are, and I don't know if that's just them doing damage control themselves of saying like, no, you know, we, we were okay with this um, t- to kind of make it look uh you know, better yeah. than, than and, and whatever. But 
I don't, I don't know. Like I, in, if, if Russ had a different temperament, I would say yes, but, but this is, you know, people have been comparing it to Allen Iverson all season, but, but I even think Russ is a little more temperamental than Iverson. Right. And, and I think a little more outspoken and, and, and confrontational than, than Iverson was. So um, I don't think I, like there's no indication, you know, based on any, you know, anything Russ has said to us all season on and off the record, there's no indication to me that he has accepted that he is no longer an all-star, no longer an all NBA guy that he's no longer the, you know, the third superstar in a big three, like he views himself in that light. And, and I, I think there's a, some positive to that, right? You, you got to have that confidence. But, um, I, I think we're kind of seeing the potential downside here where even though it's probably better for the team to reduce his role, I don't think he's on board with it. And, and you know, a guy who's on board with it does not leave the bench the manner in which he left the bench. He does not leave the locker room. He does not refuse to talk to the media. Like, you know, and, and maybe he's in the process of accepting it and he's going to come out next game and maybe have a smaller role and then talk to us, you know, talk to the media afterward and uh, go into more detail about accepting a new role. But um, he's been, I mean, he's been complaining for, for weeks now about, I don't know what my role is and it changes night to night and where, you know, I have the ball. I don't have the ball. I'm in the dunker spot and this and that, like, He's clearly not been happy with his role. Uh, I'm sure, it, you know, for both sides, honestly, they'd probably go back and, and do this differently. And Russ would not be in LA and they wouldn't have traded for him and, and he wouldn't have wanted to be there. And uh, I'm sure both parties would probably admit that with, with true serum. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess to, to, to go back to your question or to kind of cap it, like I I don't see, I mean, I, I would be, look, I was shocked that they benched him to begin with, but I would, really would be shocked if he accepted a bench role and, and maybe they forced it on him. But Russ does not seem like a guy who just accepts those terms because look, look at every other situation he's been in. The team has had to bend to Russ and not the other way around. But maybe this is the first situation where he has to bend. It's a great framing of the issue and something we're going to keep talking about going forward. Um, Jovan, thanks for breaking that down. Um, as always, our listeners benefit from your uh, your insight, your basketball insight, your knowledge, and uh, also your hair. I mean... Our listeners don't know that they benefit from your hair, but you're, you have such great hair that it gives you confidence, and that confidence really uh, fuels everything you do. Sort of like Russell Westbrook, but in your case, it is um, earned confidence, and uh, and you brought that today. So thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in for an episode of The Forum Club. We're here every week talking Lakers, usually talking Russ, currently talking Frank Vogel. Continue to read our coverage on The Athletic. Lots of good stuff there. Jovan with a fire take on the Lakers' loss to Indiana. And we'll, of course, uh, have everything from this upcoming six-game road trip. We'll be there. So follow our coverage, and you can be there, too. Thank you very much for listening.